Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for yet another episode and a brand new guest as well. Tu Tran is with me, a wedding and portrait photographer from the Atlanta area, so not very far away from me. And we're going to be getting into a loaded topic today, vulnerability, and more specifically, how to push through that feeling of vulnerability for the sake of personal and professional growth. Uh, but two is here. Or I, I wish you were here with me too, but we're remotely having this conversation. Thanks so much for making time for the podcast today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I'm a little bit nervous and feeling vulnerable. <laughs> well, and, and it's certainly relevant to the conversation. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. But first of all, I have to say for our listeners, I, I think one of the, the things, maybe the thing actually that drew me in to you initially and, and why I even said, hey, let's do a, this this podcast or what made me most excited about it was your Instagram account is just beautiful. And, you know, there's, I've been in the industry now for coming on 20 years almost. And so I've seen a lot of photography. I've certainly seen a lot of Instagram feeds. And sometimes it just kind of seems like the same old, same old. Your work is just beautiful and is diverse as well. Uh, Is this something that you've like very purposefully curated? You're trying to go for a particular look. How did this come about? Well, first of all, thank you. Instagram has always been a, an Achilles heel for me. And I never intended it to go in that direction. It just kind of happened just because I do travel quite a bit. And my clients happen to be in a lot of different cool places. No, it just was never something that was intended. It just kind of happened over time. Well, it's beautiful. I mean, and, and beautiful. And I know I used the word diverse a second ago, but I love a wide variety of imagery in a photographer's account, I think it actually does a better job of displaying someone's ability as a photographer in, in some cases. And you have maybe the coolest Instagram handle ever, uh, too legit. So it's spelled T-H-U-L-E-G-I-T for those of you listening in. And we'll link to this in the show notes as well. Of course, Instagram.com slash too legit. And then your website will also link to in the show notes at bocapodcast.com is two, the number two, and then T, the letter T, photo.com. By the way, props to you for getting a, a really short URL there too. That's that's pretty <laughs> impressive. Thank you. I would say before when you were just talking about diversified Instagram, I actually thought that the fact that it wasn't all weddings or it wasn't all yoga or travel, that it was a weakness. So to hear you say that that was something that you appreciated about my account, um, that actually makes me feel really good just because like I couldn't just post one facet of what I do because all the other ones heavily impact who I am as a person and a photographer. So I really appreciate that. Thanks. Well, of course. And and it's certainly meant in the most genuine way possible. You know, I, I think there, when we talk about, in fact, we're going to talk about brand position here in just a second. When we talk about branding and creating a brand that is distinct and that stands out in someone's mind to represent a particular thing, I understand the significance of consistency and imagery in a social media feed, for example. 
But at the same time, I think um, maybe just I'm the jaded guy who's been in the industry for a long time and I've seen too much of the same thing. It's so refreshing to see a wide variety of imagery, to see varying imagery, to see imagery that imagery that is kind of contrasting in nature. I think one of the most beautiful things in life are contrasts and and to be surprised and to see something kind of unexpected. And you certainly get that with your account. So again, we'll link to this in the show notes for our listeners. Make sure you go check it out. Too legit on Instagram, T-H-U-L-E-G-I-T. But let's jump to brand position. And if you were to sum this up in just a, a brief answer, what would you say is the thing that sets your photography business apart? Uh, or more specifically, what's a unique selling point of your photography business, especially in a large market like Atlanta? Um, well, I typically, if I had an elevator pitch, it's I do destination event photography that's based out of Atlanta. And the great thing is because there's a hub, I can go basically anywhere quickly. Yeah. And I specialize with portraits and retreats and weddings. So anywhere you want to go, I could basically go easily. And I don't know, because I travel so much, it is... Sorry, Nathan, I'm going to like blank out really quick. No, you're totally fine. Um, it's so crazy to hear, like just hearing you be on like that. And I'm just going to, this just to be a side note because I actually don't see my work the same way you do. Uh, so that's why I'm like getting a little emotional. Oh, you're <laughs> totally fine. It's, it's really cool to hear um, somebody on the other side, just seeing the work that I create and I don't, I don't see it the same way that you do. Hmm. So I'm just going to like take a little breather here and have like a, a mini panic attack because um, I was just so caught off guard. Take your time. You're totally good. And this is vulnerability. <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea I was going to um, get so emotional and respond that way. You're totally fine. No worries at all. Is this normal? <laughs> now that you like are talking about it, I, I honestly don't always know how my work is differentiated from the rest of everyone else, to be honest, because I've always just, it's just something I see and it's just how I photograph. And I never really thought of it as being special. So to get that kind of response, you know, you always hear your friends and family and they compliment you and, you know, it's your friends and family. So you never think twice about, oh, there's nothing really special about my work. And that's where it's really like surprising for me. Sorry, let me go back to that one later once I like get my shit together. <laughs> you're you're, to <laughs> you're really totally fine. You know, it it is it is a tough thing to try to figure out how to sum up, especially succinctly, right? I mean, you go to a lot of photographers' websites and and you just see text upon text upon text, and they're trying to communicate their significance to a potential client. And I think a lot of times letting imagery speak for itself is actually the way to go. I mean, your imagery certainly does it. I'm actually at your, on the homepage of your website. So we were talking about your Instagram, but even just on the homepage of your website, the initial images that you see there, the very top of the page, there's no text. It's just imagery and it's a wide variety of imagery again. And it does speak for itself. I mean, we can, we can get technical about the, the marketing side of things. And, and I mean, I love the topic of brand position, but at the end of the day, if somebody can come to your website and be just swept away by your imagery, I mean, more power to you. I will say, I have to throw this in because this is pretty great to me. You've got a little tagline of sorts on your Instagram account, which is making weirdos look dapper AF since 2009. 
And um, I, I think that's kind of brilliant, actually. Like, so maybe that was just tongue in cheek. But what comes to mind when you think about that phrase? Like, what did you have in your head? I mean, you're, you're talking about weirdos and looking dapper. I mean, honestly, I had a client put that as her caption for a photo that, she, that I'd, I'd taken of her and her husband. Really? And they are just goofy and awkward. And when she wrote it, I saw it and I was like, I need to steal that for my <laughs> for my tagline just because I loved it. And it was such a perfect way to describe them and then how how much pride I got making them feel amazing and looking amazing, even though they felt really awkward. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just kind of jacked that from them, <laughs> to be quite honest. I wish I was the one who came up with it, but <laughs> yeah, they... They actually had that under their tagline. So, well, if if you're to ever it. put text on the the header of your website, I would run with that because that's pretty brilliant. <laughs> Thank uh, you. But let's go ahead and go to the next question. I'm I'm curious. I mean, you've been in business then apparently since 2009. In that span of about 10 years or so, what is one of the most important lessons that you've learned? Or put the other way, I mean, you talked about elevator pitch a second ago. If you had an elevator ride, you know, 15, 20, 30 seconds to communicate to a fellow photographer, the most important thing you've learned as a business owner, what would that be? Um, I would say learn to create a system for mm. yourself early on. Okay. Um, I found that there's a lot of trial and error once you start. And sometimes it's just trying to keep all the plates spinning. But if you can find a way to create systems so that you're consistent, your work is consistent, how you respond to your clients is consistent, mm. the type of experience that they get is consistent, it'll work not only for you, but for them. And it just is a great way to keep yourself sane, especially if you're starting off and you're a little bit slow and you don't have a lot of clients at the time. But then eventually, if you remain consistent, you'll grow a a following and you'll need to figure out how to do things efficiently the busier you get. So I find uh, creating systems is really important and also learning how to advertise early on. And that's something that I struggle with currently is I never had to advertise. It was always just word of mouth. But right now we are in a completely different, I don't know, like climate when it comes to like getting business. And so if you can learn to advertise early, you'll just have a steady, steady flow of income, steady flow of, of people seeing your work. Cause that, that's really what it comes down to is getting your, your work out there and letting people know that you even exist. Cause what my struggle is like, Oh, I feel like I do great work, but because I'm not, I wasn't getting a lot of inquiries. It was making me feel terrible about myself and about my company. And it has nothing to do with that. It's just the fact that if you're not reaching eyes, then nobody knows you exist. So advertising to me is another key uh, ingredient to building a successful business. Wow. Okay. So I have a couple of follow-up questions here. One, you talk about systems. Are you naturally a systems person? Like, do you have a background in developing workflows? No, I am a cluster. (laughs) (laughs) I, that is why I find this so helpful because I'm like, well, please just learn from me because I have done it the wrong way for a very long time before I realized that something needed to change. And, um, so my fiance is, he does it, he is a very systematic person. And I just have learned through seeing how he operates, what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And so, um, so no, I am not naturally a systematic individual. Literally every single day I get up, I do something different. I don't even <laughs> brush my teeth first thing in the morning. Yeah. Sometimes I'll drink coffee and then I'll brush my teeth. Yes. And then, you know, so no, I'm not naturally like that. Hey, you don't want that toothpaste flavor in your coffee, right? 
I mean, unless you want minty flavored coffee. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> I like a mint mocha every once in a while. Fair. Okay. Well, but so but yeah. this is this is interesting to me because you're not naturally systems oriented. How do you I mean, for, for, I think a lot of, if not most of the photographers in our industry, the idea of structure and systems and workflow, it sounds so nerdy and, and just antithetical to their personality. How do you maintain that sense of artist, kind of free thinking, free flowing artist type while simultaneously implementing systems? Okay. So I'm going to just give it to you straight. I I'm not great at it and I know it and it's okay. But I realize, okay, I struggle with it all the time. And so sometimes I will revert back and then I will, I will just be so angry at myself for not keeping with my system. Cause I realize every time that I don't do those same things over again, I, I just, there's like a stream of four letter words that go through my head. <laughs> so I honestly, it's just trial and error and you just keep, you keep going back to it until you realize like you're just, if you keep continuing the same cycle of madness, yeah. then yeah, I mean, well, consistency, I mean, uh, consistency in the, in the things that work, even if it's just a few simple systems, it really can make it all the difference in the world and moving your business forward. Right. Right. So that's the thing I find actually you get more freedom, mm-hmm. the more systematic you are yes. because you don't have to worry about, okay, what's next? You know, what's next. Right. So if you know what's next, then it gives you the ability to be creative in other facets. It gives you the freedom to do um, whatever you want in this specific amount of time that you have because you know, like, okay, from this time to this time, I'll be working on, on like, you know, email. And from this time to this time, I'll be working on editing or like trying to outsource my editing. And then once you have those things in place, once you know what you're doing, then you have so much more freedom and options in the free time that you have because you've had those other systems in place. hundred percent words over again. No, but it's so true. And I'm glad that you say this because I mean, it's one thing for me as the owner of an editing company and somebody who talks about workflow to say it, it's another thing to have a photographer who admittedly, this is not their strength say, Hey, look, actually there is a really significant benefit. And these ideas of structure and freedom aren't mutually exclusive. In fact, one benefits the other. And this, I, I just, this cannot be stressed enough. You know, we talk about workflow here in the podcast. We emphasize workflow through Photographer's Edit. And, and again, it may sound like I'm trying to sell something, but these are principles that actually work. It makes all the difference in the world. And here's the thing. You can, you can flex and flow with it. Uh, I mean, a funny example, you and I were actually talking just briefly before we started recording about the outline for this podcast. And I've, I've broken the fourth wall previously. I've let our listeners know that I do send an outline to our guests ahead of time. I do that for the sake of making your listening experience, you the listener, the listening experience as smooth as possible and as impactful and valuable as possible. Uh, but what I tell our guests is, hey, that structure is there. It's meant to give us flow and direction, but we can break away from that. We can follow a rabbit trail um, and we can go down, you know, we can go on a tangent. And and that I think is very relevant to the conversation here and that, yes, yeah, setting up structure, it helps us with the flow. It helps us get that end result we're looking for, but we can break away from that. We can break the rules here and there. And that's one of the wonderful benefits of being our own boss. Totally. And it's another thing too, is if you're always on your toes and you're always trying to figure out, okay, well, what's coming next? 
then it you don't allow yourself that creativity, the time to even step back and be creative exactly. if you're always wondering what's coming next. hundred percent. That so. takes up mental space and it doesn't give you the freedom to be creative. Yeah, that's that's such a huge, huge point. This has been really good. I have to ask you one more follow-up question. I know we've been um, kind of stuck on this question for a little bit, but you mentioned something else that's interesting you talked about advertising. I wonder if you could just briefly sum up how you've gone about advertising, because this is not something we've talked about a ton on the podcast. Right. So, um, I, I met this girl recently. She's just a friend. She's only been in business for three years. I've been in business for 10 and she was just talking about how she was booked 30, 30 weeks out of the year. And I was bored because I was like, you know, what, what is she doing? And there was a part of me that was like, man, she must be amazing. And she is. She's wonderful. But I wanted to know why I wasn't booking hmm. 30 weddings a year. Like, what is the disconnect here? And when I asked her, I was like, how are you getting these weddings? She's like, oh, yeah, I, I advertise and whatnot. And all these other, she said, they're not, maybe even Facebook. But I had to step back for a second because for the longest time, I've always seen and heard people advertising on different websites or you know Facebook or Instagram. And, and I never thought that I ever needed to do that. I think part of me wanted to believe like, oh, I'm too good for that. I don't need that. My my clients send me word of mouth referrals. I don't need that. And and it came to a point where I started getting anxiety at the beginning of the year when I only had six weddings booked. And I had to really swallow my pride because, you know, at the end of the day, if people aren't seeing your work, if people aren't seeing my work because I'm not posting enough on Instagram or sharing it or even getting my name out there through other advertisements, streams, then how are they going to find me? Especially when there's so many other photographers putting in the extra time, money and work to, yeah. get, to get their name out there. So yeah, so I actually started, I put my business up on, on the knot. I literally felt like I paid for, I think just one of those um, featured vendors. And I started getting bookings from that. And I can just tell you like, when I was giving her my credit card information over the, over the phone, I felt like I was at the edge of a cliff about to jump off, which doesn't make any sense at all because I was sweating. I was giving her my credit card information and I was scared because I didn't know whether or not I was going to get any increase from it. I, thought, I didn't know if all this money that I was going to put forward um, in hopes that I would get bookings would pay off. And just feeling that vulnerability and that fear made me want to lean into it a little bit more just because there's always that saying, okay, if, if you're scared, it's for a reason and there's no growth without feeling that, that sense of vulnerability. So I gave her my card and I booked literally like a week after that. So, well, uh, and I have to jump in cause I would actually push back a little bit and say, there's no growth as a result of that fear, if there's not self-awareness, right? If we're not aware of where that fear is coming from and understanding the psychology that drives it and then making personal adjustments if necessary, because sometimes fear, you know, I, I, it's, it's a, um, it's a thing that for whatever reason I've, I've, well, I, I can, I guess I can point to the reason or reasons, but I've struggled for the longest time with fear of turbulence flying. And, and this is something, I mean, I love to fly. I'm like a kid in an airport and, you know, the process of taking off this massive thing it's a, is, is taking off and it's carrying hundreds of people into the air. And it's just an incredible concept and experience. But I still, there are these nerves that, that come along with 
with at least significant turbulence. In fact, that we were just my son and I were just flying into Atlanta yesterday for whatever reason. The the pilot decided to dive right into this massive rain. I mean, just huge rainstorm right over kind of the Atlanta area. And we jumped around in this plane like it was a like it was a ride at a fair or something. It was crazy. And that made me nervous. Of course, the reality is that plane's not going to crash. There's these planes can undergo way, way, way more stress than we were certainly going through in that storm. And there was little that I needed to actually worry about, but there's fear innate to that. I can understand and work on understanding the psychology that drives that make adjustments. I mean, we're talking about vulnerability today, and there's fear associated with this concept of vulnerability. And I think it's really important for the sake of personal growth to understand where that comes from, because then that means that we can actually make a change that can help minimize that fear, right? Right. And you know what? When I told when I told my fiance, I was sitting there, and he's like, "Why are you freaking out about giving her this credit card information?" You said this amount of money on just dumb stuff on a regular occasion that doesn't <laughs> make you money. Why are you afraid to, to do something that can help your business grow? And I, I wasn't sure. And he was like, are you afraid of actually maybe, maybe succeeding? Maybe, hmm. you know, if, <laughs> cause I, I have this like terrible self-esteem. Obviously I was like bawling when you asked me about <laughs> like my business and, and telling me about my photos and this, this like feeling of, okay, what if I do succeed? And that's a scary feeling. But mm. then again, I had to ask myself, what is the worst case scenario? Yeah. What's the worst that could happen if I dish out this money for this advertisement and I don't get anything back? Well, then it was a learning experience. And I learned that maybe this is a di- not the avenue, not the clients that I'm looking for. Right. And I, I will say that for your experience with turbulence, your worst case scenario is actually a little <laughs> bit worse. It's true. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a pretty rational feel fear. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just when it comes to things like fear of doing something for your business or taking a risk when it comes to, you know, being creative or trying something new in your business or putting yourself on a limb, I try to subscribe to that that whole question or just continue to ask myself, like, what is the worst case scenario here? Like the worst that could happen is, okay, I might lose out on a little bit of money, right? but what I would learn from it would just help me veer in another direction that could possibly make more money or find a different avenue where my clients are. It's, so. it's true. But you know, that's like, you could sum that up with perspective, right? You have, you have perspective that enables you to move beyond that that fear and perspective really is a big part of what enables us to move beyond fear. We, I mean, we we're lucky enough to live in a first world culture where like the, the idea of being afraid of handing a credit card number to somebody for, um, you know, for advertising on the not, for example, is, is something that, that we face. And I think if we put that and all these other fears that, that I have, that you have, that others have in the perspective of the kind of bigger picture, um, I think we can take a deep breath and take a step back and smile a little bit and be okay. I mean, it, yes, the worst case scenario and a turbulent plane ride is pretty terrible. Um, perspective shows that it's actually way, way, you know, statistically way, way, way safer to to ride in an airplane than it is in a car. And this idea that we're going over bumps, which is something we always do on the ground, isn't actually as terrible as it might seem in the moment. That's perspective. And I, so I think perspective is something that we all need to maintain. Let's look at the bigger picture. Let's look at the actual information, not what we've made up in our head, and that can help minimize fear. We'll get to vulnerability, though, because it ties very much into this topic of fear here in just a bit. Um, talk to us just briefly, if you will, about time. How do you admit running a business 
and relationship with your fiance? How do you create time for yourself that, that involves doing more than just sitting behind a computer and working? Uh, right. So our industry is a very lonely one where we are very social and then we hole up into an office, a dark office, and then we work by ourselves for a really long time. Yeah. What I typically like to do is um, I am a very social person. So I like to plan workouts with my friends. So I get to knock out two birds with one stone. Cool. Try to do that early in the morning, like meet up for a swim, and then we'll chat for a little bit and then go our separate ways. The reason for that is I feel like such an adult when I do that. I feel like, yeah, there's just something about waking up and doing something for yourself that is good for you, Mm. like swimming. I'm a terrible swimmer, but I love it because it's a challenge and I know that it's getting my heart rate up. And and it really, it's like a very meditative activity because you just count. You count your strokes, you breathe, you count your strokes, you breathe. Mm -hmm. It's very meditative. So I I feel good when I get back and I feel like I've, I've already won in some way. Like it's just about those little wins early on. And that puts me in the mindset to work for the rest of the day. So once I can get those things out of the way, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to channel my inner adult and I'm going to get to work and I'm going to knock out things. And I try to do it in a block schedule. So I try to do all of my admin work early on, like knock that out. And then I'll do my editing and then I'll take a break. And then you know, maybe I'll work on it. Like I, each day is different depending on uh, whatever block it is. So one day is mainly going to focus on editing, like let's say Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays, it'll be like albums or some kind of client gifts or something of the like. So I think block scheduling is really important. It's just been a really helpful way for me to schedule out my time. And then if I am traveling, which I travel quite a bit, it seems to put a wrench in everything. So I find having a laptop at all times. And if there's like any kind of delay in flights, I can always be working on something while I'm just waiting around. Yeah. And that's that proactive approach to managing time, especially when there is dead time. Um, I think that's so great, Uh, you know, and and we're lucky enough to have the technology that lets us do that. And even, even our phone, we can run so much of our business on our phone if we're working within those systems that you were talking about. And instead of complaining about this thing or that in a moment, something's delayed, pull out the laptop, pull out the phone, get something done, be productive, move forward with life and business. I think that's a great way to approach it. And I love the idea of starting off a day with a workout, something that's energizing, um, the a focus on taking care of yourself, putting yourself physically in a great place. I think that's also incredible. And I think that's a great example for our listeners. Talk to us about the most impactful business or self-help book that you've read or listened to. Oh man, I am the self help book queen. <laughs> <laughs> so when I when I'm working, I typically will have an audiobook on. And it's or if it's not an audiobook, it's a podcast. And when I do listen to audiobooks, I will usually listen to them like three to four times over again, just because when you're doing stuff and you're not actually reading a book, I, I'm convinced that you're only really getting like 15, 20% each time just because I mean, I'll literally be sitting there and we'll be thinking about something else completely and we'll zone out on the audiobook. As far as which ones I would recommend, I really love basically anything by Brene Brown, especially since we're on this theme of, of vulnerability. I love what she has to say about it. And it, there's a lot of empowerment with her books and what she, what her message is. Essentialism. Hmm. I'm not sure if you read that or not. I, I think it's Greg McCann. 
Yes, yeah, so McEwen. Yeah, I've I, Sean Austin is a good friend of mine. He's the CEO at, at Kiss Books, and he's talked about that on the podcast before, I believe. Yeah, it's it's a great book. It's just a way to cut out the fat in your life and just really focus on the things that are important. So I actually went to school for business, and this is kind of a business book, but uh, Scrum. And even though it's like a, it's more of a corporate type of business book. I found that you can actually apply a lot of the things from that book into daily life. So Scrum was really um, interesting. It's basically how to be efficient with working with others and in a team and project management, essentially. So yeah. even if you're working on a wedding and like regardless of wedding work or wh- whatever it is, we did a renovation recently and I found using Scrum technique was actually very helpful. I don't, have you ever heard of it? I, I, the, the concept, I think I've briefly heard of it maybe before, but I haven't read the book itself. Yeah, it's it's not a reader. Definitely listen to it. You will fall okay. asleep at, like a dozen <laughs> times if you try reading it. Yeah. Um, but if you listen to it passively, there's a lot of really great tips in there. Let's see. Another one is The Obstacle is the Way. I'm not sure. Have you read that one before? I haven't, but I've certainly heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's a great book. And it's something uh, – it's a book that really taps on using adversities to your advantage. So if something happens and it's – negative and you're reacting to it in a way that, um, or let's just say something terrible happens. It's a way to look at it and turn it on all faces and see how you can learn from that experience. So I find it helpful, not only for business, but just personal life. And then let's see another one. Sorry, I've got a bunch of these, uh, the trillion dollar coach, which isn't like a self-help book, but it's actually a biography, Okay. um, about a, uh, this, oh man, this guy, he's incredible. And what I took away from reading The Trillion Dollar Coach is that sometimes it's not about how well you are, like how good of a business person that you are, but how good of a person you are. And after reading it, it made me want to be a better person. Wow. So it really focuses on how you make other people feel. Mm. And yeah, it's just, it's really sat with me in, in a great way and has kind of changed my, my perspective and how I want to conduct my daily life and, and how I just want to be. So I thought it was a really great book as well. Wow. Okay. So we're going to link to all these in the show notes. And for those of you listening in, if you're new to the podcast and you're not taking advantage of the show notes, it's these types of resources that you're missing out on. If you just go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com. Haley will link to all of these in this particular, for this particular episode with two. You can link to those books on Amazon and see the other resources that we discuss and take advantage of all of that. So last question before we get into our main topic, what's the most unusual item in your camera bag? And this doesn't have to be a camera or a lens or flash or otherwise that, that makes you or helps you be a better photographer. I've got a couple. Okay, cool. Uh, my first one is, well, food, I would say, because... <laughs> If I'm not fed or if I'm hungry, yeah. oh man, I can't think and I get grumpy. So that's really important. I usually have some kind of, you know, kind bar or something in my bag. And then my most important thing I would say is my Dr. Pepper chapstick. No way. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, it's kind of embarrassing. I've had, I, I've used it since I was a kid. So I was like third or fourth grade. Yeah. And it's, it just, it's like my comfort blanket. So anytime I have it around, I just feel a little bit more secure. So if I'm in a social situation, like right now, actually, when you ask me that question, I put on my chapstick when I start to get nervous and it just makes me feel at ease. Yeah. So I, 
I'm pretty sure I just have like a psychological addiction to it. <laughs> um, and if I don't have it, I feel a little lost. I'm like, Oh God, I, I need, I need it. I just need something. So this is my, uh, my secret weapon. No, I totally get it. We all, yeah, we all crave that sense of stability in one form or another, and it could look different ways for different people. Chapstick, Dr. Pepper chapstick could be it. Yeah. Do you have something like that where it just makes you feel comfortable knowing that you have in hand? Oh, you know, that's a really great question. I, I think one of the biggest things for me is, hmm, I think structure. I think is the, the familiarity and maybe, you know, some would argue the sense of control that comes from knowing what's going to happen. I like mm-hmm. that, that feeling and that gives me a sense of stability. And I was brought up in a very structured household. So we could probably argue that it, it is a throwback to my childhood in that sense that um, my dad was extremely structured. You kind of, there was a certain way that you did everything and there was a, there was kind of an order, a schedule, if you will. I mean, even down to the, the menu that my mom would kind of cook over the span of a couple of weeks or so, we rotated through certain meals. I mean, it was, it was extremely structured. So that's what I was used to. And, and I enjoy that sense of structure. Now I will break out of it and I enjoy that sensation as well. Uh, but I tend to be a pretty structured guy. And I think that's kind of my, my security blanket. Well, so how do you cope with that once you don't have that same control or that same structure? Like how do you handle yourself or what do you do to get yourself back? Hmm. Oh man, that's also a good question. And I love that you're turning this back on me. I, I, I'm so, no, this is fun. I, I'm so used to being the one answer, asking the questions, but I, I think this has been a, to be, first of all, to be very clear, it's been a learning experience for me that that desire for control and even authority in some cases has been something that I've had to kind of push beyond realizing that my way isn't the only way. And that's kind of a simplistic way to sum things up. But again, based on, I'll just say past experience and and relationships, that was something that, that I, I, it was kind of a learned behavior. And so at this point, a lot of it is just like a split second, deep breath reminder that me not being in control isn't the end of the world. Um, Just a kind of an inward reminder or a, a personal reminder and letting go consciously, subconsciously kind of letting go of that need for that so-called need for control. That's, that's the exercise that I go through. No, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I think it goes back to that whole self-awareness thing and just knowing that that's something that triggers you. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I know that in fact, I literally just, my son and I were, were taking a trip. We just came, I mentioned flying into Atlanta. We just came back from San Francisco. We took a, a trip together out there and spent a long weekend together. It was a really great trip, but um, even prior to that, actually, we we went briefly to Memphis, uh, Tennessee, and I took him to a concert that he had wanted to go see. And it, so we had some time in the car. We were chatting. And I learned this, actually. I mentioned Sean Austin earlier from KISS. He's a longtime friend of mine. And one of the things that, that he'll ask, uh, particularly to his wife, is, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And I, I think that's a really great question, because even as self-aware as, as I might feel like I am, I know that there's still a cloud of sorts, right? I don't know the actual version of being on the other side of me. And so I asked my son, Hey, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Cause I want that kind of feedback. So I think self learning psychological principles, understanding how, how and why we behave the way that we do is really, really important. I've mentioned a number of times before in the podcast, Tony Robbins reawaken the giant within, I think is a book that pretty much every and, and anyone should read. It's only about a hundred pages long. It's a free ebook. You can download, but it deals with psychological principles that that kind of drive human behavior. And if you understand those, 
it's very freeing. It's enabling. But the reality is it's, you still don't have a hundred percent accurate view of what it's like to be on the other side of you. So also having relationships with people where you can ask that question, Hey, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And it can encourage that self-awareness as well. Yeah, that's brilliant. I I had a recent conversation with a friend and we were talking about self-awareness and how a lot of times like Yes, you could never really know how other people view you. You can only know what your intentions are. Mm. And once you've really dialed in on what are your actual intentions, like what are you trying to convey and and what is the meaning behind it, I think just knowing that for yourself gives you that self-awareness because even if somebody else mistakes something that you say or do for you know something completely different than what you intended, at least you know at the end of the day, like I meant to say this to be this way in a positive way. And regardless of what anyone else says about you, like you just have to have to be okay. As long as you know what your intentions are, like not, what anybody else says doesn't really matter at that point. You know? Yeah. I would, I would say that's true to a point. Of course, the, the, the reality is we're still in relationships with people who may or may not understand what our intentions are. I think one of the the coolest places to be in a relationship, especially with a significant other is with somebody who can trust your intentions. Um, that's, that's something that I've been learning about quite a bit in my relationship, my, my current relationship. And it's, it's been a, it's been a really cool experience because whereas in the past I've, I have had a tendency of kind of projecting on the other person, what their intentions are, or making wrong assumptions. Um, if you can be in a relationship with somebody with whom you can trust their intentions, that they actually have good intentions um, for and toward you and, and toward the relationship, uh, it makes the relationship a lot easier too. And and um, so I, we're going down, we're going directions that, that yeah. we, we certainly don't have time to cover in, in a whole lot of detail here on the podcast, but I love these kinds of conversations and, and I really appreciate you kind of pushing back and asking me questions too. It's been a lot of fun too. Let's, let's actually get into kind of our primary focus today. And we've touched on it already, but this idea of vulnerability. And I have to say, I mean, speaking of covering topics that we only have so much time for, I know that, that we're only going to be scratching the surface today, but it has become this, this idea of vulnerability has become a talking point in our industry and in our culture in the last couple of years or so in particular, largely thanks to Brene Brown. And you know, it's, it's a, it's almost a cliche thing these days to talk about being vulnerable. And so I, I would like to understand better from your perspective, when we talk about this idea of vulnerability, and then ultimately kind of pushing beyond it, how would you define the idea of being vulnerable? I would say it's taking a risk and putting yourself out there and not knowing the outcome. So whether it's positive or negative, um, and still doing it anyway. So I think if you guys watched her Netflix special, it was like basically be brave, even though it scares you just doing it anyway. And just putting yourself on that, um, in that, that capacity where you can grow from it. Hmm. Um, I mean, what would you, what is your definition of vulnerability? I think for me personally, it would be putting something out there for which I would, uh, for which I'm afraid I'd be judged for. I like it. Actually, I think I like yours better. <laughs> well, I, but I think all, all our perspectives are going to be different. But I have to ask ask you because this has been, um, you know, I've I haven't watched Renee's Netflix documentary yet, and I'm certainly interested in doing so. I watched at least part of her TED talk. She she does talk about. I think she's maybe even used that word brave in her TED talk as well. Mm-hmm. We we mentioned earlier the significance of perspective 
and how that can shed light on something like fear and, and certainly on vulnerability. Do you feel like like bravery, that the so-called need for bravery, like when I think about bravery, I think about, you know, a soldier going into the middle of a firefight to save a fallen friend. And we talk about bravery in our society and in a largely different context. I wonder if our felt vulnerabilities would be uh, in some way kind of not minimized in the sense that, that, that we are less significant, but minimized in that we would feel less vulnerable, we feel less fear if we shifted our perspective a little bit, we, we gave a little bit less significance to some of the things that, that we kind of label as being brave for doing. What do you think? I mean, it, I think it goes back to that whole, like, well, what is the worst case scenario? You know, like when you're saving your, when you're in the military and you're saving your friend from some open fire, that's brave. The worst case scenario for that is a lot more, uh, you're putting a lot more on the line. Dire. Right. It's a lot yeah. more dire than, you know, posting something on Instagram or or buying an advertisement. Like the, the worst case scenario, um, it's you, you really don't have that. You can't even compare the two. But it does put things to perspective because it's like, well, why the hell not? Like, why the hell not would you buy an advertisement if that's the worst thing that can happen? It's not like you're getting shot in the face, you know, like so it does put things to perspective for sure. And. I think that will help gauge a lot of other people's decision-making if they just consider what could possibly happen, like what's the worst that could happen versus what's the best thing that could happen in the situation and, and whether or not um, the best case scenario outweighs the worst. Yeah, I, I like does that. Does that make sense? No, it does. I, I like the, the worst case scenario kind of uh, thought process, like applying that to pretty much everything in some form or fashion would probably be, be helpful you know, the, it, and the reality is we all deal with different insecurities, different fears, and as a result, feel vulnerable in different ways. And these, these questions of the significance of those vulnerabilities, I'm certainly not meaning to minimize anyone's. I mean, I have my own that are probably, that just sound ridiculous in and of themselves. But I also wonder if in our culture, we would, we would be more, to borrow yet another cliche uh, word, empowered, we would feel more empowered, able to do what we're actually capable of, if we maintain a certain level of perspective when it comes to vulnerability, again, kind of a conversation in and of itself, but I would love to understand. And by the way, I'm, I'm glad to kind of jump in here too, but uh, just for the sake of balance and conversation. But when, when you talk about feeling vulnerable to what is it that makes you feel vulnerable uh, more specifically in the context of your photography business? And, and why is that? I would say um, just, being in business for as long as I have and wanting to stay in my comfort zone. To me, being vulnerable is getting out of that comfort zone and doing something that I wouldn't normally do, normally want to do. I would feel um, scared or there's just a lot of uncertainty involved. Mm, uncertainty. Yeah, that's a key word for sure. Yeah. And especially <laughs> and when you do bring up the whole military thing, you're like, oh, it sounds so silly <laughs> to think about how if you're comparing the two now but I would say just putting myself out there social media like that kind of thing like not knowing what kind of response you're going to get and then feeling narcissistic too because you just don't want to even share that much information about yourself mm -hmm. because you're wanting your business to thrive and then having to look past the fact that you know it's it's an app 
we're allowing <laughs> we're allowing this app to yeah. control our self worth because there's a lot. I don't. Do you know the term codependency? Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. So that is a term I find a lot of people don't necessarily understand. Or for me, I use it in the sense that I am codependent on my company to make me feel like I'm worth a damn. Hmm. And, and I know that. And I think just looking at that and staring that in the face is a sad and scary thing. And to recognize like, okay, these patterns and these behaviors are unhealthy, but having to admit that you are even that I have that to me, that's vulnerability and like realizing that this is unhealthy is it's being vulnerable. So, well, you were just vulnerable in, in, in admitting that on the air. I mean, this is a podcast that's going to go out to our industry. And the fact that you're willing to admit that in my mind, that is definitely an example of vulnerability. Yeah. Thanks. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. I think a lot of creatives and a lot of photographers feel that way though, about, about their work and about what they do and, and how they conduct themselves in their business. Like we get a lot of self-worth out of it and whether or not a client is excited after they get a gallery or whether or not you get enough likes that is a codependent relationship that is so unhealthy and Mm. just realizing it, recognizing that like it really does shift that perspective. And that's, you know, that's kind of this whole, again, it goes full circle, you know, like you have to realize and and shift your perspective and have that self-awareness and understand that, okay, these behaviors are unhealthy. Like this way that I'm thinking about myself, this way that I, I had this expectation that these, you know, likes or whatever are going to make me feel more worthy. It's, it's, it's eye-opening. And, and then, you know, I don't know, it's, it's tough. It's hard to be a business owner and it's hard to connect all of these external, these people that don't, aren't even like actually a part of your life. Like how are they, how are they making you feel so terrible about yourself? So yeah, it's, it's tough. It is tough. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm not a psychologist by any means. And so I, I'm, I'm only going to be able to comment so much on this topic, but I can certainly relate to the role that you're talking about codependence playing in your life. This is something that I've, I've struggled with, with uh, more so in the context of relationships. And it's something that I'm actually continuing to work through because I, I realized that I was seeing or that I was looking for significance uh, or approval actually in through i guess through the re, the approval that i was getting from the significant people in my life my i was allowing my my worth to be decided and um i know that it's easy to give that type of value not only to relationships but to something like social media and like you said it, it's and it, i think it's good actually that we laugh at, at the ridiculousness of the notion that this is just an app and that little heart button or that little heart icon next to that image that is just a like and somehow the fact that we're that that we get a certain number of likes matters enough uh, that we have let it affect our self-worth if we maintain a certain level of self-awareness and that perspective it will help minimize the significance that we're giving to that experience and ultimately our self-worth and we can pull ourselves away from that codependent behavior but um, I'm glad that you brought that word up because this is something to be considered for sure. Uh, and, and again, to be vulnerable as we're talking about, I mean, I have a book on my Kindle right now um, dealing with this very issue of codependency. I haven't read it yet, so I won't recommend it yet. 
but this is something that I that I've struggled with. So I can I can relate in that sense. But let's actually delve into this. I mean, social media, whether we're talking about Instagram or Facebook, are there other ways in which you have felt vulnerable? I mean, when you're talking about putting your work out there on Instagram, let's let's go back to the question that you asked earlier. What's the worst that can happen? And what were the fears that you were feeling despite that that reality? I mean, posting social media is it's uh, it's it's great. It's great because it can do a lot for a business. It can do a lot for a person and and their feeling of that that sense of false self worth. But um, putting yourself out there, that vulnerability, I would say the worst that could happen is you don't get a lot of likes. That's and that's fine. Or you don't get a lot of followers. And I, I do struggle with that still because, like, you know, you go on my Facebook page, I have, like, 1,500 – or not my Facebook, my Instagram account, and I got, like, 1,500 followers. And that's fine. That's fine. But then you go to these, like, 20-year-old, 21-year-old <laughs> uh, photographers' accounts. They've been in business for, like, a year, and they've got, like, 17,000, or they have, like, 32,000. It's just, like – it's so hard to compare because I find that a lot of clients will refer to a famous Instagram photographer account that's got all these, these likes and followers. And, and it's hard to just remove yourself from that, especially when your clients are mentioning these other accounts and feeling like you're not worthy or your work's not worthy because you don't have all of these followers. And, um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to not put yourself in that, in that rat race and compare yourself. And, and it is a struggle for me, especially since I have been in business for so long. And I feel like, you know, I, I was being lazy in the beginning and I wasn't focusing on that because I didn't think it was important. And I was afraid to put my face up there. I was afraid to be vulnerable because I didn't want that feeling of not being good enough realized on a social media app. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely a struggle and it's something I'm working on. I started taking some business courses and there's one that I'm planning on going to. They really focus on just doing it anyway and not being afraid and just putting yourself out there and having to build. If it's like, if you want to compete, you have to play. So you can't just expect there to be this miraculous following. If you're not going to, be vulnerable and put yourself out there, even though it makes you uncomfortable. So, so would you say, I mean, you're, because I, I want to make sure too, that our listeners, cause I'm, for example, this topic on, on vulnerability and social media is a big one. It's one that I think many people can relate to. I'd love to share with them what you're learning in that process of kind of pushing through the vulnerability there on social media. Do you feel like one of the biggest steps in that direction for you has just simply been, playing, as you would say, posting regardless of the feeling and kind of pushing through that, does that ease the, the sense of vulnerability or the fear that you've experienced? Um, I would say I went from posting once a month to once a week. Okay. <laughs> and, and I know that the people that I've taken workshops with, I took a workshop with Justin and Mary and, um, I'm planning on taking one with hustle and flow. And, they all say you need to post every single day and you need to do Instagram stories or the Insta stories because it, it like beefs up your algorithm. And I do find there's a lot of engagement there. And 
I do feel like there is a sense of inflated sense of self, actually. It's, it's, it's weird to, to get that interaction and be like, Oh, people are actually engaging with me. This is, this is really cool. And then, and then I want to shut it down though, because I'm like, no, this isn't real. But I am finding the more that I post though, I am finding more engagement. And the more I don't worry about what people are thinking and I just post whatever I feel like posting at the time, yeah. I get more, I hate the word authentic interaction. And people are finding that, oh, like this is interesting facts I didn't know about you. And they become I wouldn't say like evangelical, but they, I started to, I do start to book more Mm -hmm. the more that I post just because I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if it's because, you know, they, you know, I don't know. Well, I mean, they're they're seeing, you're talking about the significance of the algorithm and, and um, I mean, this is a complicated topic, certainly that I can't speak extensively on, but if you are, for example, involved out there in your stories and also consistently posting in your feed, your brand is being seen more readily. And not only that, you're putting yourself out there, especially if you're putting out, putting yourself out there personally, then likely those potential clients will connect with you even more. And as a result, book you more. I mean, it's a, in some ways it's a relatively simple concept, but I also understand where you're coming from the, the apprehension to giving so much significance to something like an app. And I've had a very similar feeling. I think there are a couple of things to keep in mind for, for everybody involved in the conversation here, myself included, uh, certainly for our listeners is number one, regardless of our perspective on social media, it's here, at least for the time being, it is how the world is functioning, at least as we know it in kind of modern Western culture. And so and, and and much of Eastern culture for that matter as well. And so if if we're going to just kind of turn a blind eye to that reality, we're going to miss out. So now the question is, how do we actually engage on the platform? And a lot of that should be driven. I mean, it's easy to get carried away looking at somebody's popularity based on numbers. But the real question at the end of the day is like, what what are we trying to accomplish with our personal life? How does that then affect the business model that we're running? And our social media should simply support that. And, and really, that should be the gauge by which we determine our success on social media and, and little else. I mean, it's easy to compare. Even if, you know, the reality is Instagram has been talking about this, this idea of taking away visible likes, and hopefully that will help encourage more organic engagement. The reality is they're still going to use engagement with those posts to determine what is being fed to the viewer. And so I don't know how much that's going to actually affect things. But it, it, in the end, it doesn't really matter. If we're if we're doing what our, if we're actually following through on the goals that we've set for our personal life, which again should then determine what we want for our business, and then our behavior on social media should follow suit. And if that is being done, it's being done consistently, and we're getting end results, which is clients, and we're making the money that we need to, that's actually what matters. So our goals should determine our, our sense of success and little else. What do you think? I love it. Thank you. I wish you could just ask yourself these questions because I'm like, <laughs> you're answering them so much better than I would. Oh, no, no. The, the uh, converse, this conversation <laughs> is, no, but, it, but it's all about conversation. And, and I really do love the format in that sense. I, you and I talked actually before we started recording about the, the various areas that you felt vulnerability in your photography business. You did mention social media and we've touched on that. Uh, you also mentioned criticism. Talk to me a little bit about criticism. Yeah. So, um, that's another thing that has been tough for me. Just when you're 
when you've been in business as long as I have, like 10, 10 years, not everything is going to be sunshines and rainbows. I mean, there's going to be a lot of that great feeling where you're like, wow, I really did something great for these people and they love it and I feel so good about myself. And then sometimes you'll have somebody that you won't necessarily that won't necessarily be happy with whatever you got or whatever um, work that you provided them. And dealing with that is really difficult as a business owner, just as somebody who loves what they do and puts their heart and soul into it. It's hard to get any kind of criticism. And I've had to deal with that recently and having somebody put or post like a negative comment or like a negative review. It's heartbreaking to read and it's heartbreaking to know that you put everything you possibly could into it. And at the end of the day, like you still couldn't do what they wanted or you Mm. still couldn't provide the service or the type of work that they wanted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it is heartbreaking, but also it's taking whatever they said and shifting your perspective again. And it's that whole like obstacles away thing where, Okay, you look at the situation. It's like, okay, what are they saying here? Like, what could I have improved? Yes. What could I have done differently? How can I take this and you know build different different things into my contract because this was a bad experience? Or right. how can I you know better serve my clients next time? And it's being open to that, and it's also you know just taking away that ego and puffing up and being like, well, I could have you know, and just blaming them for why. Yes things weren't great. I think sometimes you just have to be willing to, to look in the mirror and say, well, what could I have done better? Yeah. And, um, and to your, I mean, to this topic of vulnerability, that, that process of saying, all right, you know what? I may have screwed up. That feels vulnerable, certainly. But the open-mindedness and again, the open-mindedness to the development of self-awareness, which is, okay, this is what happened. This is an area that I could have maybe improved on, or we could even go to the extent of maybe, after we've taken time to explore how in this particular scenario, we, we may have been able to run our business a little bit better. Maybe we explore the possibility that this wasn't the right client for us. So in the future, how do we go about the process of targeting a more ideal client for our brand and for our business model so that we filter out those who don't necessarily fit, but ultimately that process of being willing to and, and open to improving that feels vulnerable. I hundred, I like, I, I very much understand what that feels like and it can be disconcerting. Um, but I, th- I think you've beautifully summed up both the, the, the challenge, which is the feeling of vulnerability through criticism, certainly the vulnerability involved in the solution though, as well, which is, okay, I may have screwed up and here's how I can do better and how we can move forward. Cause it's easy to get stuck on something, especially if somebody criticizes what we've done. Right. I think you've you've presented a just really wonderfully a way that we can proactively move beyond that. Speaking of letting go, so something else that you shared with me before we started was that you felt vulnerability through the process of letting go of control of your editing and outsourcing that to somebody else. Talk to me a little bit about that. So when I started, um, just the idea of wanting to add in outsourcing into my business, just because okay, I knew that there was a problem. I knew that I wasn't able to deliver my work in a time that I was proud of. Like at the end of the day, I was proud of the quality of work I was giving them, but I wasn't proud of how long it was taking. And I think just evaluating that, 
the fact that I wasn't proud of that. I needed to change something. And so that's why I decided to outsource. And there is vulnerability in that because you have to realize like there's something that I'm not doing that's perfect. And just realizing that there could be something that's better. Somebody actually might do this better than me. Hmm. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Realizing that you aren't doing something as well as you as somebody else. Like that's not easy to admit. And so that's when I decided, okay, I need to, I really need to do something different so that my clients have no reason to complain or they have no reason to feel anything but like excitement and joy versus like, you know, when you're waiting for something, there's that anticipation and that anxiety. And, and I had a client say to me, well, oh, I just, I, I wasn't sure if I looked terrible in all the photos and you had to edit them all and Photoshop them all. And that's why it took so long. And that broke my heart Oh man! to hear that because if that's, those are the things that's going through her head. I mean, I would hate for her to feel that way. And so, yeah, so that's why I was like, okay, I need, to, I really need to outsource now because like if it's taking me this much time just to get their images out yeah. and they are having all these thoughts go through their head, then, you know, I can do it better if I can be a better business owner, if I just trust somebody else to do that job for me. And again, the vulnerability innate to that conversation is, as you were alluding to, somebody might be able to, in this context, do a little bit better job than I can. And and to be very clear, I mean, the reality is we can all learn how to do Photoshop and Lightroom in one form or another, right? The other, the other kind of part of this equation is that maybe the time is just simply better spent elsewhere instead of on the, in the computer, on Photoshop or in Photoshop and in Lightroom and processing away for hours and hours and hours. And, and to be clear, even myself owning an editing company, I, I think that processing images in Lightroom can actually be a lot of fun. I mean, Lightroom 8 has given us so much control over this process of editing images, creating presets. It's a really cool setup. It's fun to play with, but that's not helping me be a better business owner at the end of the day, especially when it comes to my overall and my value set and my business model. Uh, and that that is, again, really important for all of us to go back to. Is this actually benefiting the greater good? The greater good being our overall goal set in life and as a result in our business. And that's the question to ask. And if, and if it doesn't support that, then yeah, the process of giving up your image editing to somebody else, it can feel extremely vulnerable. Uh, the reality is that um, there is someone or some people out there who could take great care, whether that's photographer's edit or somebody else can take great care, great care of that image or those images. And you can then focus your time on other things that are going to actually help build your business. So uh, I appreciate you sharing, sharing your experience on that. One last thing that, that you touched on with me earlier, not just letting go and outsourcing, but then letting go and booking. Talk to me about what you were alluding to there in this process of booking. How did you feel vulnerable? Oh, um, well, when we were discussing advertising and that that was a huge part in just like on a deal. This is the thing. Okay. So when you're in business for for 10 years, you ebb and flow. There's times where you feel great about what you're doing. You're booking a lot. You are in like a, a flow where you can knock out a bunch of work quickly and you just feel good about yourself, the quality of work that you're putting out there. And then every once in a while, you'll hit these road bumps where you're like, well, I could improve here. I can improve here. I'm not booking a lot here. Well, this is where I can improve. And I think letting go 
of the idea that I'm just going to let things fall in my lap. And I'm just going to trust that my clients are just going to you know, refer me out and word of mouth is going to pay my bills. And it's, it's not always the case. And so that's where the advertising thing was back in play where I decided to, to advertise. And, and that was a big deal for me. And was the vulnerability there feeling like you weren't good enough for people to just naturally refer you? Like you had to actually put yourself out there and, and put your brand out there? Right. Because you want to rely on just like, when I first started, I relied on Facebook and that's how I got all of my clients is I would post something on Facebook and then I would tag whoever was in it. And next thing you know, I'd have like three or four people ask about whether or not I was available for their date or if I did, you know, family shoots. And that's all I had to do back in the day. And then from there, it just kind of spiraled out and then their friends would refer me. And so I didn't even have to post on Facebook as often anymore. And so at some point though, that starts to die down. All of your clients and their friends, they're all reaching a certain age where they're not getting married. They're having kids. And then at some point I felt like I I hit a dead end and I was like, well, I'm not getting any more. I'm well, not anymore, but I'm not getting very many clients anymore. So I don't know what to do here. And I was just relying on my old ways to get clients and it wasn't Mm. working. And that's when I was like, okay, well, there needs to be a change. That's when I started to try to beef up my Instagram and try to post more and do more stories. And that's when I also tried, you know, started to um, advertise. And that's when I, I saw a shift and the more money, the more time, the more effort and the more research that I did to get new clients, um, I really saw paying off. And, and that's the thing is like, I was looking at my friend wondering like, why not me? And not realizing that she put a lot of time and effort into advertising and in growing her business while I was spending a lot of time just, you know, listening to self-help books. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but this this brings up an interesting point though. We can't ever just coast, right? And and I've learned this the hard way as well. We, and and maybe we could sum this up by saying we have to let go of, of old expectations for the sake of booking. Uh, We have to be willing to ebb and to flow and to make adjustments and, and to change the way that we're approaching getting new business because culture changes and times change, technology changes, our, our market or potential target market changes. I mean, things change. We have to be willing to, to go with the flow and change accordingly. And I think this is a really great reminder for all of our listeners. So it's been a hard road, but I mean, definitely working towards a path where I feel like there's growth, um, not only in my personal, like psychological health, but also in, in my business. So it's been a fun, but challenging road <laughs> to go back to kind of bring it full circle to your willingness to be vulnerable and share with us the way that you have today. I, I can't thank you enough for that. And, um, I think there's so much for our listeners to take away from this conversation, but maybe just in summation, will you remind them where they can find you and follow you online? Maybe ironically, you'll get a few more followers as, as a result. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so my website is www the number two, the letter T photo.com. And on Instagram, my hash, my handle is, uh, at two T H U legit L E G I T. So still one of the coolest Instagram handles, um, (laughs) from anybody in our photography industry. I love it. Thank you so much for making time to, to share with all of our listeners here at Boca. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Come